Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, feministcoffeehour.com, feministcoffeehour at gmail.com, at femcoffeepod on Twitter. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. In today's episode, Clinton versus Sanders. It's a topic a lot of people have been talking about, obviously, and one of our listeners specifically requested this episode, and we were kind of going back and forth as to whether or not we should weigh in, whether or not we should talk about it. In our Rebecca Lynch episode, we touched on it a little bit, um, but at Lacey Murphy asked us, podcast discussion idea, voting for HRC Hillary Rodham Clinton is our duty as feminists? I disagree, but I've run into many feminists who say this. So before we can answer this question, I think there's a lot of stuff we have to talk about. Definitely. So, yeah, what is the case for Hillary? Well, there, Hillary's got a lot of things going for her. Number one, I think, of which is her experience. She's the mm -hmm. most experienced candidate in the running this election season. By far. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, a lot of people like to kind of downplay her experiences as first lady, but the thing is, is that she took on an unprecedented role in the Clinton administration. She wasn't just kind of working on her own pet projects. She was actually a policy advisor to Bill Clinton. Um, I'm reading her uh, memoir now, the first one, Living History, and, you know, frequently Bill Clinton would say, okay, Hillary, I'm not sure what's going on about this. Write me a memo and make a suggestion. I don't think that's what goes on with, you know, Michelle Obama's nutrition initiatives or Barbara Bush's, you know, literacy initiatives. It's a she had a completely different role than any other first lady. And as such, she got a lot of experience of being pretty much a White House staffer, like, a you know, a not named cabinet member. And then on top of that, you know, the first lady has somewhat of a formal, informal diplomatic role, mm -hmm. which she got to expand on as Secretary of State. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that's interesting is that her huge history of experience has often been used against her, not for her mm -hmm. in this primary, right. because she expressed opinions that were pragmatic at the time to get policy to move forward without triggering a, a radical backlash. And so a lot of her words that were used to kind of um, finesse things through as a, mm -hmm. as a liberal uh, and not a radical are now used against her because they sound quite outdated. Definitely. And some of them are really awful. I don't know many people now who have the same opinions on policy or politics that they did in 1992. Unlikely. I know. Do you care? <laughs> well, I don't. I I was, honestly, I can't remember 1992. So I can't give I was, you the like, definitive answer. I don't remember yeah, who I was. I was 10, for. so. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, or even, you know, the difference that that makes it. Does anybody have the same political opinions when they're 20 as when they're 30 and so on? I, people's ideas change. And people can move to the left, to the right, and, and other ways too. So. I think that a lot of these critiques are valid, and we'll get into some of them, mm -hmm. but in general, um, I don't know how helpful it is if Hillary Clinton is now on the side that you agree with to criticize her because she wasn't a long time ago. Right. And so in that way, I think that her experience, her multitude of experience, uh, can be both kind of a pro and a con for her. 
in this election cycle, but I think it's really interesting. I think when men have this vast and expansive experience or men are able to change in the public eye, I think Hillary Mm -hmm. has been uh, shown as some sort of lying manipulator when she changes her mind. Uh, And in some ways she might be, I don't know. She's a politician. I'm sure she is, but not, uh, I think that as a woman, her experience has been used as a weapon against her as opposed to a, uh, as opposed to something that bolsters her resume. I agree. And I think that she's one of the smartest people that's, you know, run for president. She comes across as one of the most intelligent people I've seen in the Democratic primary. I mean, I think the people who could match wits with her are pretty much her husband and Barack Obama. I don't I don't see anyone else who has that kind of intellectual power behind behind their words and i think that as a woman people do use that against her mm-hmm. that you know if a guy's smart it's great if a woman's smart it's kind of played off as being wily and conniving and, yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah again it's this we can't trust her she's manipulative like she's smart and she's getting something over on you mm-hmm. and that's kind of the narrative so again so there are these two qualities that are so they're so valued in men that Hillary has, and those qualities have been mostly used as weapons uh, as to why she's not qualified. And I think that this kind of speaks to, in social science, there's uh, extensive studies of what are, what are called paper people, where resumes mm-hmm. are sent out, uh, or in more controlled experiments, uh, resumes are shown to participants in a lab uh, and they're asked which person is more qualified, and uh, in scenarios where men's names and women's names are kind of interchanged on the same resumes, mm-hmm. people will find reasons to disqualify women, regardless of how they view those qualities in male resumes. Uh, and very often you'll see when a woman's name is at the top of the more experienced candidate, they'll say, well, this might this role might not be a good fit because I don't understand why they want this position. You want somebody with fresh ideas. You know, this is somebody who's already done this. Whereas with a man whose name is on the same resume, you find that people say, well, this guy is clearly prepared to do the job. I, I agree, and I think I think it's very interesting. I know that I say that a lot, listeners. I know I say it's very interesting a lot. We have an interesting podcast. I, I know, <laughs> I know, and Karen's a very interesting person. But I'm trying to listen. Oh. That's my one very interesting for the episode. So um, I give you permission not, to say anything that okay. you want is interesting. <laughs> you can say it. Okay. So um, I think that's a good point, and I would also add. I think, ideologically, that Hillary Clinton is a feminist. A lot of people disagree. I I don't. I don't see how you could say that she's not. And it's not just kind of like the Sarah Palin woman with a job feminism. I think if you look at, at her history, at her activism, at the way that she goes about things, and the issues, the way that she talks about the issues. I know, Karen, you, you like to talk about how she always brings up reproductive rights in the debates. Mm-hmm. Every time. Maybe not every time. But very loudly, without being asked, she'll bring it up. Mm -hmm. She won't let you forget reproductive rights are on the table. 
There was a controversial article in Salon, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with it as a whole, but it was talking about how a lot of women identify with Hillary Clinton because they see the sexism that she's faced, and they, they kind of see that in her own in their own lives is reflected back to them. And I think that that's true, and I think that while you're probably not going to see Hillary Clinton giving a speech about every time a man was a dick to her, you can. <laughs> I think she does a very good job at conveying that in other ways, maybe with body language, maybe with what's left unspoken. Are you referring to her listening to men talk phase? The listening to men face during the Benghazi hearings, I, I think in general. Um, I know this is a weird argument, and because it relies on on something that I that I can't cite you. Well, look at this speech where she said here or that Senate vote there. But to me, it's really obvious that she's very aware of the context in which she exists as a powerful woman in you know a misogynist patriarchal culture. You know, I think that that's a really great point, and I think it's really funny because we're we're a podcast, you know, and yet this kind of inarticulatable posture that she takes uh, when I, too, get like, hmm, why do you say that at this moment, sir? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. That kind of um, really difficult to describe feeling where it's like, like that microaggression feeling, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I know why you said what you said. It's because I'm a woman. I know why you're coming at me. It's because I make you uncomfortable. And it's something that I think a lot of women know, but have a lot of trouble talking about because it's so subjective as an experience. And yet collectively, we are so aware of it that it's clearly a reality. And it's easy to ignore or a lot of women pretend like it's easy to ignore or would rather act as if it doesn't apply to them. Oh, I'm I'm superwoman. No one's ever been sexist towards me. I mean, I don't want to name names because probably a lot of feminist Democrats uh, women act that way. But I, I think to acknowledge that is, is a big deal because I don't think everybody can or can do it well. So I do want to go back to your original point of Hillary is a feminist and I don't know why wouldn't people wouldn't call her that. So she's a feminist, but I mean, she's a bad feminist in like the Roxane Gay kind of parlance of, you know, we're all bad feminists because we are all women under patriarchy. We all have our unfeminist guilty pleasures. We all behave in ways that are not always leading towards some feminist utopia because we don't live in a feminist utopia. And so we all make our compromises. But I think in many ways, Hillary Clinton um, is not... Uh, a bona fide intersectional feminist in many ways. Right, and, and I, I think, think we're going to the... get to a couple of those examples Absolutely. in a minute. But I just wanted to list two things that are kind of, I feel like, kind of feminist bona fide credentials. One being her Planned Parenthood endorsement, mm-hmm. which was based on her being more proactive than Bernie Sanders on mm-hmm. Mainly choice, but reproductive justice, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you noted that she included campus sexual assault under her women's issues on her website. And Bernie doesn't specifically address violence against women on his website. Although that is something he's concerned about. And we'll get to that also in a minute. Yeah, and he's discussed Um, violence against women, but it's not on his women's issues page on his website. 
And mm-hmm. I actually did kind of compare the pages side by side for this episode. Uh, and Hillary very strongly attacks rape culture in a way that Bernie has not tackled. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything else to add before we get to the case or cases against Hillary? So, number one, she's a female who could be the first female president. And we've talked in previous episodes about the importance of women in government and female leadership. And so, uh, all, like, I think all of our past episodes in some ways addressed women in power. But specifically mm-hmm. our last episode, and uh, that entire episode is pro for Hillary, I think. So you can go ahead and listen to that. <laughs> yeah, and I think I'd uh, go back to Lacey Murphy and say um, that well, one point that I want to make, I guess that would be part of my answer, is that there are people who say that it shouldn't matter that Hillary's a woman because you should just pick the best person regardless of gender. And to some extent, I agree, but it's not always applicable. I think that, um, you know, there's a there's a catchphrase going around, I'll be a post-feminist in a post-patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we lived in a country where, you know, half of the time we had a woman president and half the time we had a, a man president, that then gender would be irrelevant if, you know, it was always equally likely. But I think for people who take that into account, I don't think that that's anti-feminist because it takes the context of American history into account when they say that. Absolutely. I agree. So directly in response to whether it's your duty as a feminist to vote for Hillary Clinton, I don't necessarily know. I can't tell anyone how they should vote appropriate or what's feminist or not like please don't make me tell anyone what is or is not feminist for everyone but um I think well actually I'm gonna rescind that because I'm pretty sure I do tell people that in some of our other (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I just think it's too specific of a question I don't think that it's that there's and I you know the rest of our episode will bear this out I don't know if there's necessarily a perfect feminist choice when you're looking at Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. I think feminists could make a good case for either one of them. And I don't think it's okay to say you're a bad feminist if you don't vote for Hillary or if you're a bad feminist if you do. I, I think it's kind of one of those I don't I don't know if it's if it's necessary. feminism is relevant when you decide who you're going to vote for. But I think in this specific contest between these two specific people, I think good arguments can be made on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as to the point where um, should should I disregard that Hillary is a woman when I consider voting for her? Absolutely not. It matters. She would not be where she is in her life if she were a man. Period. End of sentence. We've had no first gentlemen first lords (laughs) we've had none none ever we've never seen what that looks like when a man is first gentleman and then decides to run himself we've never seen that no man could ever be on the path that hillary clinton's been on no man could ever have the experiences that hillary clinton's had uh and unfortunately i'm not going to disregard that just because you tell me it shouldn't matter because it does matter. It absolutely does. 
And so that's my response to specifically that. Well said. So let's talk a little bit about the cases against Hillary, and we're going to divide this up into two things. One is the feminist case against Hillary. I think a lot of these we think are good arguments to not vote for Hillary, or at least reasonable ones. And then we'll talk about the anti-feminist case against Hillary, which are a lot of misogynist reasons to not vote for Hillary. So something that's um, resurfaced... um, are the allegations that Juanita Broderick made against Bill Clinton. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Juanita Broderick alleged that Bill Clinton had raped her when they met to discuss health care policy in 1978 when he was running for governor of Arkansas. And part of the reason that I think that this does concern Hillary Clinton is that um, Broderick was in denial of of what happened to her, and she went to a Bill Clinton fundraiser a few weeks after the alleged assault, and um, she says that Hillary kind of took her aside and said, uh, thank you for everything you do. Do you understand everything that you do? And Broderick says that she thinks that um, Hillary Clinton meant thank you for keeping quiet about being assaulted. And so um, if that's true, Hillary Clinton is an accomplice after the fact to a sexual assault. And I think that's a very Mm -hmm. serious allegation. And I think it's one that a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of Hillary supporters don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable. A lot of Democrats don't want to talk about. But Republicans and right-wing news organizations love talking about it. Right. And I think um, two places where you could go that I think are pretty unbiased are Juanita Broderick's Wikipedia page. And also there's a slate.com article called is Juanita Broderick telling the truth. And that kind of goes into what the facts are and how they can kind of be spun either way. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's relevant about this is that one person said, or several people have asked Hillary Clinton about this at town halls or, you know, campaign events. And what she said is that, All women should be believed when they make allegations of assault unless they can be proven wrong otherwise. And to me, that seemed to imply that there's some kind of exculpatory evidence that Bill Clinton did not commit this assault. And if that's true, I'd like to see it because it's possible. I mean, if he had evidence that he was somewhere else that day or something like that, Mm -hmm. that that would be pretty clear because it was a specific day and time because of where else she was, if you want to get into the details of the case. So if that's true, I'd I'd really like to see that evidence. Karen, we've been talking about this a lot and you said, you know, maybe Hillary kind of misinterpreted what happened. Maybe she didn't know the full truth of it at the time. Maybe only she a few still weeks doesn't. Later. Right. I mean, she wasn't there. Right, she wasn't there. You know, Juanita's not saying that Hillary was there, you know, helping assault her or anything like that. She just said that Hillary kind of thanked her for keeping quiet. And she very well may have thanked other women who she suspected Bill had affairs with for keeping quiet. Right. You know, she might not have any reason to think otherwise that it that it wasn't consensual. I And at the time when this came out, it was in the middle of a bona fide witch hunt against her and her husband mm-hmm. when these allegations surfaced. 
And so I think that she would have good reason for discounting them. She would have several good reasons for for discounting these allegations that someone who's not directly involved or directly married to the person being accused would have. I think that's the most serious, in, well, one of the most serious things in the feminist case against Hillary. Yeah, There's a absolutely. bunch more. It's really, um, so this one is my number one sticking point. Mm-hmm. How can I vote for somebody who has potentially uh, discredited a rape survivor? And there's a lot of evidence to show that Juanita Broadwick was raped. And on a personal level, I absolutely believe that she was. Mm-hmm. I believe rape survivors. I think a lot of the evidence that she's lying comes from a misunderstanding of how rape victims or uh, rape survivors respond in sometimes unexpected ways while being in this kind of weird denial. I think that those are, are really weak arguments against the validity of her story. And so this is kind of the most... The fe- the feminist argument against voting for Hillary for me. Well, we'll get to more. But um, I'm really disconcerted by this. Although I have to say, I, I don't necessarily know that Hillary knows what happened. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that Hillary can be shown to know uh, by the evidence that we have. But yeah, Correct. I think Bill, De- Bill Clinton is probably a disgusting rapist. I think that's fairly safe to say. That you he you heard it here. Disgusting with women, mm-hmm. at the very least. Um, and really deplorable behavior. And had I known any, any of this... I mean, I think that, unfortunately, that's such a huge part of the legacy of this presidency because of this like weird witch hunt that sensationalized it and really didn't do much for the women he, he harmed anyway. Um, and actually caused them a lot more harm. So, moving on. <laughs> moving on. In the Nation on February 10th, 2016, Michelle Alexander, the author of The New Jim Crow, wrote an article called Why Hillary Clinton Doesn't Deserve the Black Vote. And the article mainly goes into Hillary Clinton's role in mass incarceration, mostly of black mm-hmm. people in the United States and the war mm-hmm. on drugs. And also her role in welfare reform. And I think we should talk about those two issues separately. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. With regard to Hillary Clinton's role in mass incarceration, um, a lot of people point to the 1994 crime bill as one of the pieces of legislation that allowed it to happen in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hillary Clinton infamously gave a speech about uh, the super predator theory, which... Um, at the time was an idea that um, some children, because their parents were taking drugs or were poor, would not just become sociopaths or psychopaths, but would become incredibly violent sociopaths or psychopaths called super predators. And it was kind of the dog whistle that most or all of these super predators would be black. Mm Mm-hmm. And this myth is what led to a lot of people supporting the the crime bill. I think that there's maybe two mitigating, well, one mitigating factor here and one kind of that makes it a moot point. One mitigating factor is at the time there were people in the black community who 
were in favor of the crime bill because many of the people who were victims of crime at that time were black and they wanted some relief from that however they saw it as kind of like a two-step solution to the problem and they never got that second step uh, what i understand was that the black community was calling for not only an increase in um, policing and toughening of, of criminal justice procedures but also an increase in community resources to prevent crime mm -hmm. and that never came and we have the situation that we have now i think something that um and we we talked a, touched a little bit about uh, bernie sanders talking about violence against women is that bernie sanders voted for the 1994 crime bill which is a reason that i think it's unfair to hold hillary clinton's support for it against her i mean unless you're going to vote you know say God forbid Republican or, or Green Party or something like that. But when you're when you're when you're just looking at the two of them, I think that his vote cancels out her support because she was supporting her husband's policies as pretty much a de facto member of his administration. And I'm not saying it wasn't wrong, you know. They both did something that built up institutional and systematic racism in the United States. And I don't know if you can say that a vote for this policy is less than a speech. And if you ask Bernie Sanders about this, he will say that he voted for it because it included funding for creation of the Violence Against Women Act. And the way he put it in the last debate since uh, the taping of this episode was, if I hadn't have voted for it, Hillary Clinton would stand here and tell you that I refused to vote for the Violence Against Women Act. He didn't say that he voted for it because he believed in the in passing the Violence Against Women Act. He said he voted for it because he did, he's a, a politician. And I think that this is something that people don't talk about. You know, I think it's so interesting that you bring up his defense of this because I think a take on it that I have yet to see is uh, that Bernie Sanders you know, is shown as this this radical who always does what he believes, always leads with his heart. And yet here in this moment, he admits to being a politician, and somehow that's still Hillary's fault. Somehow he's doing it because otherwise Hillary would manipulate you to believe that he's acting politically. <laughs> yes, know? it was her fault in 1994. He could have foreseen that he was going to be running against her, who was also supporting the same policy for president. It's hilarious, but that's, 22 that's years later. how he says it. And we don't even, it goes right under the radar, and I think that's because of misogyny. I think that that statement, if I had said that Hillary would stand here and nag me, you know? I think that that's a really good point. What I was going to say is that I think this conversation, if Sanders didn't try to blame Hillary for this vote, is that it kind of shows how difficult government is. And how difficult being a member of a legislature is, because sometimes you have to vote for a bill that has both good things and bad things in it. And in an ideal world, that wouldn't happen, but it does. And I think that it is fair to hold someone accountable for the bad things in a bill, even if they voted for it, for good reasons. So that's just, that's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. Uh, moving on, the second thing that Michelle Alexander talks about, about why Hillary Clinton doesn't deserve the black vote, mm -hmm. is her support for uh, welfare reform in 1996. And this is a policy that Bernie Sanders voted against, uh, correctly, I believe. And, you know, the Welfare Reform Act of 1996 uh, resulted 
in an increase in in uh in a decrease in benefits at least mm-hmm. ac- across the board but it it did hurt black people a lot and i think that um there's a lot of 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 problems in our country i think that we can trace back to welfare reform mm-hmm. i think that even though i'm not a huge fan of of some his more recent films i think michael moore makes a really good case about you know welfare reform leading to more problems with children because parents are forced to work in jobs with with long commutes and, and in ways where they they can't be as available for their kids and that that creates problems and um i think that you should read the article in the nation i'll link to it in the show notes uh, along with the slate article but i do think it's a completely fair argument to talk about the impact that um welfare reform which is a policy that hillary clinton supported you know ag- arguably agreed as a member of her husband's administration but it was still something that she supported mm-hmm. that hurt women that hurt uh black people that hurt black women mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a totally legitimate criticism of hillary clinton absolutely and also just the the perpetuation of this super predator dog whistle mm-hmm. is just not acceptable no and she's apologized for it. Yes. But she also said it <laughs> in a speech. Right. So. Hmm. If she had apologized for it, you know, the week after she said it, it would be a little bit different than yeah, kind of years a ago. day late and a short and dollar short. Mm-hmm. A day late and a dollar short. I, I think this next one is one that, um, one of them that really sticks with me is her Iraq war vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Iraq war is probably the biggest mistake the United States has made in my lifetime. Mm. There was no reason for it. It it caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, the maiming of hundreds of thousands of people, the destabilization in the Middle East. Of the entire region, uh countless, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of refugees and complete destruction. I feel bad about this because I remember seeing a documentary about our use of white phosphorus in Iraq and how that has created a horrible situation in terms of increases of cancer and birth defects in, in the Iraqi people. And at, at first, I, so um, disturbing. a lot of the evidence coming out wasn't that great, but as, as time has gone on, it's really clear that we have committed war crimes in Iraq and... It's one of those things that if I had an eraser in history, I'd really want to go back and erase that. And it's very hard for me to understand how or why Hillary Clinton made that decision. She said that it was because she thought there was going to be more diplomacy and we wouldn't go to war as quickly as we did. I also find that day late and a dollar short, and I feel like if I had Secretary Clinton here right now on the podcast, that would be the one question I would ask her. I would say, when did you realize your vote for the Iraq war was a mistake, and why did you change your mind? I Mm -hmm. wish I would hear her. I wish someone would ask her that question. Mm -hmm. If you're a journalist and you listen to this podcast, ask, ask Hillary Clinton that question. If you're... A regular person, and you're going to a town hall. Ask that question, please. You don't even have to credit me, but but send me a link. I want to see her answer. Yes, Hillary, when did you change your mind? And why? I'm depressed now. 
To be fair, a vote for the Iraq war does not mean a vote for the war crimes and atrocities committed during that war. I think it's really useful to keep in perspective that um, when she voted, those things had not happened. Oh, of course. And it's, um, it's like I said, you know, there's good things and bad things in every vote, but you should be held accountable for both. Absolutely. And I think that you bring up uh, another really huge kind of score against. Yes. One that depresses me whenever I think about it. Mm. Another argument in the feminist case against Hillary is that she sat on the board of Walmart. I think one mitigating factor is that, you know, her husband was governor of Arkansas and she wanted to, I don't know, make connections or support Arkansas business. But Walmart has been horrendous in its tra uh, treatment of women. Specifically both, women. Yes. Both within the United States and in their workers in other countries that make the products. And I think from a labor point of view and from a feminist point of view and uh, as the daughter of a labor organizer, it's that's a hard one to swallow also. Absolutely. Um, and yet at the same time, I do feel like of all the, the things that she's done, this is one that's more indirect. So she's been on the board of Walmart. She doesn't make the decisions at Walmart. She didn't make the decisions at Walmart. She, I don't... Right. See, I see pinning Walmart's problems on Hillary Clinton, yet another, like, Mom, why didn't you stop this from happening? You know? <laughs> Possibly. So, again, it's another time where I think her experience is used against her. Yeah, I'd love to hear her talk more about that. I mean, if she had a good story about how, oh, I was against this HR manual that was bad for women, or I said My we should have paid maternity. Is that she wasn't really active in those meetings. Is that I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I know it that she held a position for a number of years. to me like a political move. It definitely was. Mm. It definitely was. And, and there's, there's pluses and minuses for everything that you do. Yes. You are very balanced and nuanced in your views that way. I think that the next couple of issues are what I call the Hillary needs to rein in her surrogates argument. Both Today and in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, one that got eaten up by the tape recorder, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know if it's fair to call Debbie Washerman Schultz a Hillary surrogate. I think she pretty much is. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when so. she said, yeah, when she said young women don't care about Roe, that was awful. Um, yeah, and so counter to the experience of so many young women on the left. Yes. Um, but I don't know if, if Hillary can go to the chair of her party and be like, shut up, stop talking about young women. <laughs> um, she should, though. Right. I, I mm. think the WS would listen to her. Um, then uh, Madeline Albright <laughs> and her uh, special place in hell comment. I think that was inappropriate. I think it got blown out of proportion a little bit because that's something that Madeline Albright says all the time. And if you didn't yeah. know that, I'm why aren't you a better feminist geek? So <laughs> Also didn't Taylor Swift say something like that too? Quoting Taylor her? Swift quoted her and then everybody yeah. thinks that Taylor Swift said it, that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And that's I'm something that Madeline sure Albright's always Madeline said. Madeline Albright was quoting Taylor Swift. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, she's just really with it. <laughs> Sorry. 
Haley Swift knows more about feminism than anyone. Clearly, <laughs> she is the ultimate white feminist savior. <laughs> Buy her album. Wait, more than Gloria Steinem, who we're getting to next? Oh, can we talk about Gloria Steinem? Can yes. we talk about that interview? Mm-hmm. Garbage. So disgusted by that interview, uh, that Bill Maher interview. I really want to blame Bill Maher for this. I really I was, do. I was going to say that, that Bill Maher is a garbage person, but you're still responsible for what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And I know um, many women were really frustrated by the implication that their political values are uh, based on trying to seem cool for dudes. Um, I didn't think it was feminist when, uh, I think her name is Jillian Flynn, the author of Gone Girl. Right. Uh, wrote about the cool girl as like a woman we should all hate because she does things to impress men and we should be free from her. Uh, I don't think that was feminist when she wrote about it, and I don't think it's feminist when Gloria Steinem says that uh, women are doing things to be cute, you know, and or we should dismiss young women who are supporting Bernie Sanders, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's absurd. When she clarified it in her apology, I think she almost made it worse, mm-hmm. because I think what I kind of read in that was... I didn't mean to say that girls were following Bernie Sanders because that's where the boys are and they wanted to get laid. I meant they were following Bernie Sanders because that's where the boys are and girls are unreasonably influenced by their male peers instead of feminism. (laughs) I think that's almost worse. That's significantly worse. Um, And I do think that there are social structures that enforce uh, women acquiescing to the opinions of men. Mm -hmm. But... If there is a movement of young women who are part of a political movement, how unfeminist to say, well, they're just doing it to please men. Garbage. But I really want to bring up... How would Gloria Steinem have reacted if someone said that about something she was doing? Like, Right. It's ridiculous. Um, I think you should respect your elders, but, like, come on. Yeah. Uh, so, also, I do want to bring up Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but one Mm -hmm. of my pet peeves about the, that particular interview Mm -hmm. is not this part, which, uh, I think if she had explained properly could have been explained away. It was the segment or the, the part of the discussion right afterward that was full of disgusting misgendering of Caitlyn Jenner discussion and, uh, and instead of jumping on full blast like the trans misogyny bandwagon, she like jumped on it with this uh, really great turfy point. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the term turf, it's a trans exclusionary radical feminist. Uh, she brought up in response to Bill Maher's disgusting, disgusting trans misogyny. Uh, she brought up that the highest paid female CEO is a trans woman. Uh, but I think she put it like, was born a man, uh, some really awful trans misogynistic, uh, cis sexist way of putting it. And that's in the same interview a little bit later in that nary a peep. Uh, so I wonder, you know, that's really gross. And I didn't even know about that. I didn't even hear anything about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's disturbing to me. And so I, it's funny because, uh, I love so much of the work of Gloria Steinem. Um, and I was actually willing to forgive her for the, um, you know, uh, corralling of young far left women, uh, into this corral of like, voting with their vaginas, which is something I feel like most women who are uh, Hillary supporters get accused of doing. But, um, I I could not forgive the things that she said about uh, trans women and how she could not call uh, Bill Maher on his, like, really horrific trans misogyny in that interview. Yeah, that's pretty awful. Yeah. And it's also awful that people didn't jump on it. Bad feminists. Well, it shows you who's in power and and where the outrage is. Yeah. And what gets covered <sighs> in the feminist movement. Right. The white feminist movement. Speaking of white feminists, mm. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the racist things that went on in Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign, mm-hmm. which I think that um, a lot of people are talking about, especially uh, Gen Xers and younger millennials who who were following this a lot. And um, the one thing that Hillary said that I think was, I want to say unforgivable, but I mean, I guess Barack Obama forgave her when he appointed her to be Secretary of State, maybe, um, was when she was asked about whether or not Barack Obama is a Muslim. She just kind of flippantly said, well, he says he's a Christian. And that was, <laughs> that was awful. It. And, um, you know, going back, I uh, hate to speak ill of the dead. Uh, may she rest in peace, Geraldine Ferraro. But she did say something awful. And it's just going back. Hillary Clinton needs to rein in her surrogates. Geraldine Ferraro pretty much said that Barack Obama had black privilege running for office. And that if he was white, he wouldn't have won. Garbage. Barb. Yeah, it's, it's racist it's garbage. Disgusting. And, it's you know, like it's gaslighting racist garbage on top it of is. it. It is. It is. And, um, I, I don't know, and I, Hillary's not going to make a speech about, here's all the shit things me and my surrogate said in 2008 and why I'm sorry for them. Hmm. Um, I don't even think she needs to, because I think a lot of people have forgotten about this, but it's, it's still there in the back of my mind. And I've seen some people talk about it on Twitter and, um, Hey, remember when Hillary was racist in 2008? Isn't that funny that we don't talk about that now? Yeah, so we're I mean, talking if, about it now. If there's a pro-Hillary post on Facebook, I promise you someone will bring it up in the comments section for you. <laughs> well, good, because maybe <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, and then people I, need to not forget it. And then I think this one kind of, for me at least, goes in between the feminist and anti-feminist case against mm-hmm. Hillary, which is that in her law career, she was a defense attorney for uh, a man accused of raping a young girl. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that while we can be horrified that she did this and while we can be appalled by some of the questions that she asked the victim, mm-hmm. I feel like it's and you can disagree with me here. And I don't know if, how much we've talked about this. I feel like this is a disingenuous attack because I think that if you're making this case, I think you need to go out and make the case further that if you're accused of rape, you don't deserve a defense attorney because someone has to be the defense attorney. Someone has to take on that role in our adversarial justice system. 
um, John Adams defended the British soldiers who were involved in, you know, the Boston Massacre. And Americans were killed. And John Adams defended them for murder, and he still went on to become president. And I think that, you know, saying that if you're ever a defense attorney for someone who did something despicable, it means it's going to be held against you forever, then no one's ever going to get a good defense attorney, including innocent people. I think that's a really fair argument, and I think that's a really thoughtful argument. I didn't know that about John Adams, so thank you for that education piece. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I, I feel like also this is another one where Hillary Clinton has experience and it's used against her. You know, I think uh, a man's career as a defense attorney would not deter his presidential candidacy in the way that Hillary does. And so while this might make her someone I don't really want to get dinner with, uh, if I had found out in my circle of friends that somebody had done this, mm-hmm. uh, I would t- I would totally still get dinner with you, Hillary. Call me. <laughs> um, <laughs> This just gives me pause, you know? <laughs> right. And, and I think that, um, it is more likely to come up against you if you're, if you're not a, a white dude. There was, um, Barack Obama had appointed a man, I forget his name, um, I can look it up, to be a federal judge who had defended, uh, a black man who had, uh, killed a white cop, I think. Yeah. And everybody just, went crazy and was like, this man can't be a judge because he loves cop killers. And, uh. and it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same argument. And I think that if this, if this man had not been black, I don't know if people would have, would have brought it up. I absolutely agree with you on that. I think that we definitely hold women to a more feminist standard than we hold men. And we hold black people to the, uh, this kind of a person who, uh, I guess this is almost kind of a flip though in this story because I think in in the case of Hillary, uh, defending a rapist, uh, her transgression against uh, her own is what's highlighted, and then uh, in this federal judge, it's flipped in that his defense of a, a somebody accused of killing a police officer kind of invokes these racist uh, stereotypes that we have, that people who kill cops are black, when mm-hmm. I believe the statistics are quite the opposite. Well, you can't win. So, Sorry, I know I say that a lot on this podcast. So the next arguments I want to talk about against Hillary are ones that I pretty much discount. I call it the anti-feminist case against Hillary. And I think a really good article to read, or if you have the book Men in Ongoing Investigation by Laura Kipnis, famous feminist polemicist, um, a chapter of her book is called Men Who Hate Hillary. And a version of that chapter was published on uh, Talking Points Memo. And I think it's uh, a really good takedown uh, she was published in December of 2014 mm. of just the general cultural misogyny against Hillary Clinton yeah. and how men seem to kind of be taking out all of their relationship issues and mommy issues on her. It's a good summary of, of, of these anti-feminist arguments. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people, 
I haven't heard it in the mainstream media, but I know that in in right wing talking points, people are back talking about Vince Foster again, who was a friend and colleague of of Hillary Clinton's who uh, killed himself uh, early in uh, Bill Clinton's first term. And uh, Hillary and Bill were devastated because he was a close friend of theirs. And for some reason, people accuse her of killing him. People say it was because they were having an affair or something like that. And Mm -hmm. um, reading uh, Living History, um, what I didn't know was that Hillary Clinton in some ways kind of blames herself a little bit for not seeing the warning signs of suicide. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes this accusation all the more cruel. Well, I think that's the goal of the accusation, uh, right. is to, to stick it to this woman right in the field, you know? And I think uh, it's, it's really uh, poignant that you bring these two issues up together, because I do think that they are kind of uh, two pieces of the same puzzle. And um, I do want to talk a bit more about the, the anti-feminist backlash against Hillary Clinton, um, you know, uh, the um, article that you refer to highlights the uh, Hillary Clinton voodoo doll, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, ah, the Hillary Clinton voodoo kit, stick it to her before she sticks it to you. Also, uh, the Hillary Clinton nutcracker is a very specific kind of castration anxiety being foisted on... This powerful woman, the jokes about her pantsuits. Have you ever heard a joke about a male politician wearing a pantsuit? I'm curious. I haven't. You know, these are very gendered. And I think a lot of people, when they talk about... I mean, I feel like Hillary is going to get a lot of the the feminist spite vote from these kinds of uh, arguments. uh, Mm -hmm. Because... So many, I've heard so many people talk about women this way, uh, in this really gendered way, in a way that you would not talk about men, in this way that really reminds me, like, they really, really don't want to see a woman win. They really, really, really don't want to have to listen to a woman. Mm -hmm. And that makes me mad, and that makes me want to be like, no, shut up, listen to women, you know? And that makes me want to just be like, you know what? I'm gonna vote for Hillary. I'm gonna I'm gonna literally vote with my badge. I'm gonna put it on <laughs> the voting stick and flip my hips to fucking pull that lever. You know, well, this is gonna we be have an a, episode. We have paper ballots in New York now, Karen. So you're gonna have to hold the pen with your vagina. So you can start well, practicing I've, that I've at home. got some time to train. <laughs> start your kegels now. <laughs> oh man, what a skill that would be. Uh, <laughs> would that get you kicked out of a polling place? Probably. Uh, <laughs> but we'll have to I ask mean, Rebecca this, when we have her back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but this invokes so much anger and so much uh, kind of reactive response that I have that will probably prevent me from ever running for president. Uh, I think you should just make listening to men say. <laughs> Um, and there's something else I wanted to talk about that's that's pretty sexist, and I call it the Margaret Thatcher argument. I think um, most recently in my mind, uh, Richard Dawkins, of all people, I think talked about this, but there are other people who've said this, that basically 
that Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war because in response to sexism, that she does things that are wrong because she's afraid of being perceived as weak. And so like that makes her a worse decision maker or a worse leader because she's always on the defensive. It's like a crazy just That's puzzle pretzel of an argument. Hmm. And I think it's bullshit. And I think it's ridiculous to compare her to Margaret Thatcher. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's just no two women that were in power, so they're the same. Mm-hmm. Absolutely sexist. But but going off of that, what I wanted to ask, and I I really don't know if this is I don't I don't know how much this comes into play. I've heard uh, women say I think Amanda Marcotte said this at one time that Hillary's as liberal as she's allowed to be as a woman um, in a prominent position. Mm-hmm. That um, and I've made this argument to people about about Barack Obama that if you're not you know a straight white cis man, preferably Christian. Um, people are going to perceive you in a different way that you don't belong in politics, that you don't belong in power. And this Mm -hmm. is going to put constraints on the type of policies that you're, that it's okay for you to advocate for. Mm -hmm. And, um, how, how do we think this does apply to Hillary Clinton? I like to think that she's this, you know, left of center, you know, moderate pragmatist because that's who she really is. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's a little bit naive because it doesn't ignore all the cultural forces of sexism that have shaped her whole life and career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, if you want to run a parallel to Barack Obama on race issues, which they're not parallel, but I'm going to try and, and kind of force this uh, wrong size foot into this shoe here. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look at Barack Obama's uh, similar dance uh, on race issues where, uh, if you remember when uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. was arrested uh, for entering his own home, uh, Barack Obama had to be very measured, and even still he was ripped apart for his response. Uh, and for a long time after that, he didn't uh, discuss racial justice uh it's certainly not even in a a light touch and um he's done so much more in this last year uh in in regards to mass incarceration for example uh or uh you know incarceration for low level drug offenses um that I think if you kind of could imagine what a Hillary presidency, uh, Clinton, Hillary Clinton presidency would look like, I think that you could imagine Hillary going along a similar line. And I don't think anyone would say that Barack Obama was a terrible idea for president because his blackness made him unable to support the liberation of black people in the United States, or that his his blackness made his votes too. Uh, acceptable to white people and too acceptable to the status quo. I don't think that that limited him. Uh, it may have limited him personally as a president uh, in uh, in terms of ideology and what he would have maybe... But I, I'm not in his head. You know, I have no idea. 
but my guess would be that he would like to be more open about his ideas about racial injustice in the U.S. However, I think it would be outlandish to say that Barack Obama made the decisions that he's made as a president, or that he was not an incredible president. Uh, you know, he's certainly been my favorite so far in my lifetime. Uh, and to say that he couldn't because he was limited by being a black man in the public eye, I think would be laughable. He's been excellent. Uh, truly excellent. And I think Hillary has the potential to be the same. I agree. Which leads us to the question, is Bernie Sanders a feminist? Well, I'm not exactly sure. But there are some pros in his corner. So I think the number one uh, feminist case for Bernie fits very well into his own image of himself which is the sense that poverty is a women's issue, uh, more so than a men's issue in the United States. Uh, women are more likely than men to be poor in the United States by a large margin, and uh, in particular, single mothers, women of color, and elderly women are at the highest risk for poverty out of any demographic in the United States of America. And so his kind of singular focus on income inequality uh, should his policies be seen to fruition, may end up having the largest effect on women in poverty in the U.S. right now uh, and, and going forward. And so that's very intersectional in certain ways. Uh, I wish you would say that. Same here. I wish that he would say such a thing. But, and we'll talk about why later. Why doesn't he say such a thing? And so the next argument in the uh, Bernie Sanders is a feminist column is that he has a 100% voting record uh, rating from NARAL. So NARAL is uh, a national pro-choice NGO or uh, pro-reproductive rights NGO. And their focus, uh, their ratings of politicians rates them on how their voting record uh supports the reproductive justice agenda. And so a 100% voting record means that he has done uh, every vote right for reproductive justice in his tenure as a politician. Uh, however, and so hearing this, I and I've had actually this actual conversation uh, online um, that uh, a man who supported Bernie Sanders, uh, who may or may not have been a Bernie bro. I know not all Bernie Sanders supporters are. Uh, but a man who supported Bernie Sanders kind of yelled at me saying that if women are interested in reproductive justice, Bernie, Bernie Sanders is their candidate. And there is a difference to me. And as Elizabeth brought up before, I am not shy to talk about it. Um, Yes, they both have uh, the same voting record, but in debates, there's only one person talking about reproductive justice, and that person is Hillary Clinton. And who brought the Hyde Amendment into the discussion? Uh, Hillary Clinton again, and Bernie Sanders later also said that he would uh, end the Hyde Amendment. We'll see if anyone actually ever does. <laughs> and so That'd I be great. That. So I do... 
Uh, I do want to say Bernie Sanders, 100% voting rating from Narrow. Uh, and good job, Bernie. Do it. Get it. And so, um, there's the case, uh, against Bernie Sanders as a feminist. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, kind of number one, uh, thing that I think bristles many people about Bernie Sanders, something that that's very brochalist kind of thing, uh, which existed long before Bernie Bro as a, uh, pejorative brochalist has been a really common thing since I was a youngster involved or trying to get involved in socialist groups that turned into weird cults of male personality. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, not Did all you issues... any manarchists at those two? Or yes, manarchists, brochalists, they were all there. Uh, I definitely have worn a button that said, I said anarchy, not manarchy. Uh, at one point, a brief period of my life, I'm not a manarchist. Um, but anyway, uh, I did have a youth, though. <laughs> um, so... This issue that comes up again and again and again and again and again is kind of using a hammer and seeing everything as a nail. Not every issue is income inequality. Uh, there are still, in wealthy women, are still uh, experiencing gender discrimination. Look at Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner is a wealthy trans woman, and yet... Many public figures have no problem with trans misogyny against her, cis sexism against her. No problem with it. Uh, solving the wage gap will not solve cis sexism, will not solve homophobia, will not solve racism, and will not solve sexism. It just doesn't address those. It can indirectly affect the devastating outcomes but there are other issues and I think this is evidence uh, in Bernie Sanders uh, question in the the seventh debate the most recent debate since recording Um, so when he said uh, something about how white people don't understand what it's like to live in a ghetto White people don't understand what it's like to be poor. Uh, black people are not the only people who live in ghettos. Not all black people live in ghettos. Black people aren't the only people who are poor. Not all black people are poor. He's really generalizing this one experience. And I think the reason he struggles when he talks about it, because he's very articulate about the things he's passionate about, is that he's learning about it, which is fair. Uh, but he needs to really learn more before he wants to talk about it, you know? Yeah, he seemed very uncomfortable. And for someone running for president, that's not good. Or for someone who wants my vote for president. That's right. And then also, and I, uh, go yeah. ahead. No, what I was going to say was that one of the things that I think that, um, Bernie Sanders is slightly stronger than Hillary Clinton on is environmental issues. And 
he doesn't really frame that one in terms of income inequality, which is weird. Hmm. But, and I don't think that you could. And I, I would think it would be interesting to ask him that. And then maybe he could kind of come to some kind of understanding. But well, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, another thing I wanted to bring up about um, just that, that weird comment in the seventh debate that he also went on to say that there's 50% uh, black youth unemployment. This is incorrect. There is not uh, 50% black youth unemployment. There's about half that, according to PolitiFact. Uh, The numbers are about half that. So I think Bernie Sanders is really saying this really... um, It kind of reminds me in certain ways of No Child Left Behind. Uh, rhetoric, you know, where it's like he's kind of going this extra mile, but because he doesn't actually understand it, he's, you know, at one point uh, on an episode of Broad City, Abby turns to Alana and says, you know, sometimes I think that you get so anti-racist that you're actually really racist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she kind of is i think yeah sometimes i mean yes, that's part absolutely. of the joke it's a running yeah. joke on this show that she's actually incredibly racist she's very you know millennial hip young racism but uh i feel like that was bernie's moment of like millennial racism where he's like i'm so anti-racist you know, all these black people who all are poor and who are all living in the ghetto and who are all unemployed. We need to help them, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, it just seems like, I get income inequality is your thing. Racial justice is actually something different. Racial justice is about racial discrimination, not about income inequality. And yes, fixing the economy and creating economic opportunities for black people will improve the lives of black people in the same way that it improves the lives of anyone of any race not living in abject poverty. Uh, But it doesn't help specifically black people other than how income inequality affects black people more in the U.S. He's so close and yet so far because he told that story about his friend, his colleague, who wouldn't um, hail a cab because he said Mm -hmm. taxi drivers won't pick up black people in this neighborhood. And he was shocked that it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Income equality is not going to fix that. No, certainly not. Um, And I think that was a good example of, of the the question, which is what's your blind spot on race? Like, I didn't know that. I never thought about Mm -hmm. that. I couldn't get a cab when I wanted to. And I think, you know, if, you're a white person and you spend any amount of time around black people, there's going to be an awkward moment like that where they'll tell you, well, that's not going to be as easy for me because of racist assholes who are going to like, you know, we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. So, um, I guess our segment on Bernie Sanders is a little bit shorter because I think, um, from a feminist perspective, Hillary Clinton is just a lot more fascinating because she might be the first woman president. And also because we know less about Bernie Sanders, him being on the national stage for a shorter period of time. I mean, he was on my radar. I always listened to him on the the Tom Hartman show, but that's completely different when you're considering somebody for a president. Mm-hmm. And um, he's done less things that are problematic to call out also, which I guess is kind of good for Bernie Sanders. Um, 
maybe there's stuff only people in Vermont know about. But if if that's true, tweet us and let us know. Um, but we do we do see a lot of overlap between the two candidates. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that they they both have that are that are great. Yeah, and so some of the um, positions that they both support, um, they both have the 100% voting record for Nero, and I've talked, I think, twice already about the differences between Bernie and Hillary on this. Um, they both support universal preschool, universal pre-K for everyone in the United States, which just recently was implemented in New York City by Mayor Bill de Blasio, um, which is, I think is... A necessary policy, I think, um, early childhood education is one of the greatest predictors of college uh, education for children, and so giving them that also gives uh, mothers another year that they can work, and there's just so much benefit to women to that, and and so I applaud both candidates for supporting universal pre-K. So that's kind of what we have to say on uh, on Clinton versus Sanders. I think we have a couple of information tidbits about presidential, feminist presidential elections in general. One is that um, from the December 2015 UN report about the status of women in the United States, which you should read in its entirety. I actually have a blog post up about that uh, at politicalflavors.com. Um, one of the things the UN report pointed out was that um, women don't necessarily have the access to the vote that they need to have. There's a lot of people who are disenfranchised. Women, uh, black and Latino people, people who English isn't their first language. Um, and what they brought up specifically for women, uh, another topic that we talked about, is mm. that women are more likely to change their name upon marriage. And a lot of these new voter ID laws make it very, very difficult for women to get the correct ID that they need um, to vote. So if you got married in the past year or so and you haven't gotten around to all the paperwork and you changed your name and all of your ID doesn't say your new name, you might not be allowed to vote. So you might Um, be literally disenfranchised by changing your last name to your husband's. Correct. Correct. And... um, or say your driver's license doesn't match your passport or your social security card or something like that. It, it can it can get really intricate and, and, and bad for women who are trying to vote. And then the second thing is that they said that um, a lot of changes that are disenfranchising voters are closing polling centers, um, consolidating polling centers, decreasing the amount of early voting that's allowed. And that makes it more difficult for women to vote because... Um, you know, women are more likely to be in poverty. They're more likely to have to work longer hours. They're more likely to have child or elder care responsibilities. And if it's harder for them to vote, they're going to be less likely to do so. Mm-hmm. So um, keep an eye on that, on what's going on in your state. Some states, uh, like Oregon, are making it easier to vote. And some states, like Alabama, are making it much harder to vote. So find out what's going on in your state and who's, you know, working to make sure that everyone has has access to the to the vote. Absolutely. And so now we're gonna get to the fun part of the episode. We're gonna talk about feminist dream tickets or female dream tickets. So at first we were like uh feminist zombie tickets where we were gonna make everyone historical tickets. Uh but 
then we just had too many people who were alive to talk about. So it's well, just the our- first one actually is a, our feminist zombie ticket, mm. our, which, our which feminist is also a troll, troll ticket. ticket. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which would be uh, which would be Valerie Solanas and Ayn Rand for yeah. president twenty sixteen uh, feminist <laughs> troll zombies. Oh yes, I think I think that would be other, awesome. But also love each they other. would hate each other, and it would be great to read about that in Politico and Jezebel. Uh, and yeah. uh, that's a cat fight <laughs> that I would follow. <laughs> Celebrity cat fight. <laughs> uh, other potential. Uh, troll ticket uh, candidates would be Camille Paglia, a perennial frustrator of the feminist community, a perennial lightning rod for controversy in the feminist community, and then also Naomi Wolf, who has some really on-point ideas and some really out-there ones. (laughs) Uh, So I think that those would make our uh, troll tickets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our for rest. the alive category. Yeah. The feminist trolls who are currently with us. I'm pretty sure everyone <laughs> from here on is alive. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our next ticket, the uh, radical feminist dream ticket would be uh, Twisty Faster and Andrea Dworkin. I would so vote for them in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, it would happen. Awesome. Uh could you imagine? I mean, and people are mad about stuff Bernie Sanders wrote in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Oh, the man tears. That would be delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, Ma- male tears. Male tears are a legitimate feminist reason to vote for Hillary Clinton. Yes, we That's will the not official judge you position. If male tears is the only reason you vote <laughs> for Hillary Clinton, we salute you. You do you. <laughs> Indeed. Our next dream ticket. Uh, the womanist ticket. Uh, Walker and Lord. Incredible. Wouldn't you just? Ugh. I I that's like a the dream ticket. Honestly, for me, you out do, of all of our do, dream tickets, this is my. You dream could do a zombie womanist ticket. Um, like a uh, Rosa Parks and Shirley Chisholm. Make sure. Uh, I would love to finally make Shirley Chisholm president. Oh, if I could vote. But, um, yeah. I think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And finally, our trans-feminist ticket. Uh, Julia Serrano and Cat Black. Trans-feminist dream ticket. Yeah. You don't support Ted Cruz. No, Caitlyn Jenner is not on this ticket. <laughs> Sorry, not even Secretary of State. You are not an appointee. Does Caitlyn Jenner describe herself as a feminist? No, I doubt not. that she would. Um, but I don't know because that's a celebrity cat fight I don't follow. I don't in know another who, episode. I don't know who Caitlyn Jenner is in a celebrity cat fight with. To be honest, I don't know if she is in a cat fight with anybody. But yeah. So whoever you vote she for, she can't sit with us. <laughs> um, right. We we hope that you vote um, with your vagina. <laughs> yes. Uh, or with your brain, either one. <laughs> <laughs> if you and have both, that's opposed. excellent. Yeah. Not necessarily opposed. 
Um, uh, we hope that you vote and um, definitely let us know what you think about this episode. Yeah. Feministcoffeeer at gmail.com at femcoffeepond. Another thing that you can do, um, we talked about something we love about Hillary and we love about Bernie's. They want to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. We want to get rid of the Hyde Amendment too, but it still exists. And you can help us strike Hyde nationwide. We are, as you might have read on our website, feministcoffeehour.com, we are participating in the National Network of Abortion Funds Bolathon. And if you would like to contribute to this fundraiser to help fund abortions for people who cannot afford them, for people traveling, for people who have to deal with waiting periods. Well, there's no waiting periods in New York, but for people who have waiting periods in that their state and have to travel out of state into New York to get an abortion. Or for people who just simply support. cannot afford the procedure. Yep. Uh, you, there's links at feministcoffeehour.com, and if you want to go directly, it's bolathon.nnaf.org slash feministcoffeehour. And even if you can only give us $1... Or $5. It would really be appreciated and it would help someone. Um, you can go back and listen to our interview with Alison Turcos. And one of the things that I said is that one of the things I love about Bolathon is that it helps people right now. Mm-hmm. People who can't wait for Hyde to be appealed. People who can't wait because they are pregnant now and they do not wish to be anymore. And they cannot afford any way to make themselves unpregnant. So, uh, donate to our, uh, Bolathon page. We can give you a shout out on the podcast if you want mm-hmm. as appreciation. Yeah, and tweet at us and let us know that you donated. Absolutely. We would love to, to support you in supporting us, mm-hmm. in supporting women and yes. other people seeking abortion. Indeed. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie. And you can find me at a Karen. And thank you so much. Thanks for such a great podcast, Elizabeth. Bye. Bye. Feminist Coffee Hour podcast theme song is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth. You can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash Bridget Ellsworth. And you can listen to her other songs there as well. And if you like what you hear, you can give her a like or even a follow.